Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another great episode. We've had a great run with our essentially our mini series on real estate, and I really, really enjoyed diving into all that. It's a fun topic, and there's really a lot to be said about it. They were some of our longer episodes, and man, I still feel like we could have gone on much longer, and maybe we'll revisit that in the future as things come up. But today I've got Justin with me. Justin, what were your thoughts on things? Do you feel like we could cover more in the future or do you think we did a decent job of helping everyone get a decent baseline understanding of in the opportunities with investing in real estate? Yeah, I thought it was good. I know our main goal was to at least plant the seed to show listeners what is possible with real estate investing and giving them some food for thought. And I think and I hope we were able to do that. Do I expect anyone to go from zero experience beforehand to go purchase their first 100 unit multifamily based off our episodes? Probably not, but you never know. But I think we succeeded where we wanted to. And I think there's plenty to talk about in the future as well. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone uh, happens to buy a 100 unit <laughs> multi after listening to the episodes, let us know because uh, you could you could definitely be our poster child for th- that content that we've covered. Definitely. Okay, so today I want to get into something a, a little bit different that we haven't done before on the show. And I got this idea during Christmas, end of 2019, a few months ago. One thing that's kind of fun on my wife's side of the family, at the end of the year at Christmas, when we all get together every year, we have a time set aside where we will sit together and share some of our, everybody will kind of take a turn, share their most memorable experiences of the year. And we'll kind of, we'll hook up the the TV and everybody can kind of put pictures or whatever. So this last year, my wife actually created an outline and said, you know, asked a few questions to kind of help everybody decide what they wanted to talk about and stuff. But anyway, one of the, one of the questions that my wife asked in that was, what is your favorite book that you read this year? When when she was preparing and she asked me, I thought of all the books that I'd read and there was a clear one that quickly came to mind. It was it was the book Can't Hurt Me by the Navy SEAL David Goggins. I I had this book on my to-read list and then Justin you told me that you read it and and really liked it. So I immediately I put it at the top of my queue and and read it. And obviously it was, it was, that's what I chose. It was my favorite book of 2019. So I liked it quite a bit. So I thought it would be fun to have an episode where we dive into some of the principles from David's book, give our thoughts and some, you know, applications in life and practice ownership. So what do you think, Justin? I say, let's do it. I actually, when I, I had this book recommended to me by a good friend, and then I was actually on vacation, Gulf Shores, Alabama, which is, I don't think this is a good beach read because, you know, if you're sitting around pool or the beach reading this book, you just feel <laughs> like a loser. But it was my favorite book of 2019 as well. And that's why when I read it, I sent it to you and Steve, and I told all my clients to read it. You know, I've heard polarizing views of the book. You know, I get it. It seems either people love it or they hated it, which makes sense because it's an intense, extreme book. Personally, I ate it up. I tried to get my wife to read it, and she was like, This guy is too much for me. So, Goggins 
is also keynoting Costas's Dental Success Summit next, I guess, this month when this podcast will come out. So I'm pretty jealous. I'll be in Mexico for my 15th wedding anniversary during that time, which is likely the exact thing Goggins would probably call me out on. So it's kind of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ironic. or Ironic. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Damn you, Alanis Morissette. <laughs> Never think of it. I and I and I get that he's kind of a, a polar type of guy. He's I mean, there are a lot of F words in the book. And so it's it's definitely not for for anyone that doesn't like language. <laughs> you're not going to want to read this book. And honestly, there were a few things that I didn't agree with in his book. And may, maybe I'll bring that up at some point. But I I loved the book. I thought there was so many good takeaways from it. So just a little background. So David Goggins grew up and uh, his he was he had a rough family life. He had an abusive father and not the best situation. He he left with his mother and his brother stayed behind with his dad. As as he grew up, he he struggled in school. He struggled with health, and at some point, he uh, decided to get himself in shape and become a Navy SEAL. And that was a big turnaround for him and he found ways to continue pushing himself and it became his like his his quest in life to to push himself as much as possible and to develop his his mind to be to have power over his body uh there are a few talking points that we're going to go through and uh and 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 get to from this book the first one is is this idea of pain and suffering and struggling and, and challenge David essentially talks about that in order to have a fulfilling life, a life of satisfaction and and achievement, et cetera, that you need to experience pain and suffering. Okay, so now I'm going to refer to the Oprah book. So go ahead and get your joke ready. I knew it was coming. Thank you. (laughs) I just just couldn't avoid it. Had Had to bring it up. But I've so I've shared it before, but basically in Oprah's book was this idea that you can't experience any significant growth in life without pain and struggle. When I first heard this, I really didn't like it. I thought, I thought this has got to be wrong. Life is meant to enjoy and, and have happiness. So I wanted to prove it wrong. So I started thinking, okay, I'm going to come up with some examples in my life where I've experienced some real significant personal growth while having fun and enjoying myself, free from pain and struggle. As I did this, I couldn't do it. All of the times in my life that I had experienced pain and growth, they were all accompanied by pain. It surprised me. I, I mean, I knew that growth comes from that, but I didn't know that it, that it was absolutely essential, pretty much. Yeah, for most of us, if you think of a time that you're really proud of yourself, maybe it was finishing dental school or running a marathon or whatever, there's usually some type of sacrifice or pain or adversity you pushed through or overcame to accomplish that. And I think that's a big reason why the goals that you set have to be exciting enough. Because if you're not going after a goal that really gets you excited, really gets you motivated and fire up, you're going to lose steam. You're going to lose motivation during those hard times. Yeah. Great point. Um, so David Goggins basically reaffirms that in his book. He he even talks about getting to the point of seeking out pain and struggle simply because he wanted to grow more. 
uh, here's, here's a quote from his book. He said, he said, I brainwashed myself into craving discomfort. It was, if it was raining, I would go run. Whenever it started snowing, my mind would say, get your effing running shoes on. Being tough and resilient helped me meet my goals. Everything in life is a mind game. Whenever we get swept under by life's dramas, large and small, we are forgetting that no matter how bit, how bad the pain gets, no matter how harrowing the torture, all bad things end. And that's the end of his quote. But he talks about how during his SEAL training at BUDS that most applicants have, have this belief uh, of, of the illusion that the pain will not end and that the only their only way out is by by quitting. They've got to go and ring that bell and admit defeat. But David points out that all pain ends. And if you can remind yourself of that in the moment, you're more likely to be able to put up with it and endure it. I think if anyone has room to speak on this, it's it's him uh because like I talked about of of his rough childhood, lots of verbal and physical abuse from his father. He watched his mother be abused many times. I think it's probably safe to say that, uh, Justin, that you and I grew up in relatively stable homes and have had a decent amount of support in our lives. I've never gone through anything in my life that would really, that I would really consider unfair, you know, that's really kind of on that extreme end. Uh, I don't know. Would you, would you say the same about yourself, Justin, or, or is there anything that you've gone through that would maybe you'd put on the same scale? No, I agree. I think nothing, I've had nothing to this magnitude that he talks about in the book. So the only reason I bring that up is that I, I know there are a lot of people out there that have had very unfortunate circumstances. And I don't, I don't really have room to talk because I, I haven't experienced those things. But David is, is a person that you can listen to in that situation. So I, I think it's worth listening to him that no matter how deep the hole, you can make the climb and you can conquer it. So I just kind of want to reiterate that. Life, life isn't fair. There are endless amounts of variables in all of our lives. Some people hit the lottery and most of us don't. And on the, on the other end of the spectrum, some people seem to have all the odds stacked against them. But David's experience should prove that anyone can bounce back um, and can use those challenges as growth opportunities to become stronger. Thoughts here, Justin? Well, I think there are two ways to look at it. You know, there are some ways in, I, in which I would say life isn't fair. The main one that comes to mind is sickness or an untimely death or things beyond our control of that manner. But I think in a lot of ways, life is very fair, um, but we just don't want to admit it. And, you know, I think we've all have heard people say to someone, or maybe we've said it to ourselves, the old, you deserve that, or I deserve that, you know, I deserve that raise, or I deserve that life. Why are they getting it? Or I deserve that house, whatever it is. But the hard fact is, is that if you did deserve it, you would have it. That person who got the raise in front of you, or has that life or that house, they put themselves in a place to receive it, whatever that means. And they were willing to put in the work to become the person who could receive that into their life. And I think we often get fairness confused with life owing us something. 
you know, life does not owe us a darn thing. I had a great childhood, in my opinion. Um, wouldn't trade it, loving family, etc. But I remember thinking, you know, when friends were getting cars, or I had friends that paid, got their school paid for. I never, I paid for my first cars. I saved up for cutting grass, and for my 16th birthday, I had my sweet A Bronco two already sitting in the driveway waiting for me. Nice. Um, <laughs> I paid for my own school. You know, I didn't have any dentists in my family to show me the ropes. No one in real estate to show me the ropes, and. I know now that stuff's what made me stronger. That's what has given me pride. But never once do I feel like ever someone owed me something. Or if I wasn't granted something, it was unfair. And going back to your first question, you know, the first question uh, we talked about earlier, I look back now, and like I said, those are the things that I, I lean on. Those are the things that give me strength. And I'm glad I had goals big enough that motivated and pushed me to endure through the days, the weeks, the months, it would, because if not, it would have been very easy to give up or not even give up, but to just be content with less than what I really deep down wanted for my life. And I know that's a big reason why we push our clients to set big goals. And there are many examples from our clients, but I'll just use you, you know, the first year you wanted to grow and hit a million dollars, which was great big growth for your practice. But we saw you were going to do that. So we had to have that talk and, you know, kind of sure you can hit that, but why are you stopping? You know, why not hit 1.2, 1.3 that I think you ended up hitting. So you've got to set goals that motivate you. I had a couple thoughts while you were sharing those things. I think you were saying that if somebody has that house or if you feel like you deserve something, then you would have it. I think there are definitely, I mean, there are times where someone inherits a lot of money or they're just, they're, they're just, they just got lucky and they were just put in circumstances and maybe had those things. But your, your point is that when you have to work for it, it's more gratifying. It's more yeah. about growth and it's, it's more likely to be long lasting. But I remember reading one of the Facebook groups about someone talking about how they were glad that they had so many student loans coming out because it it forced them to get serious about practice ownership and they ultimately became way more successful than they they would have if they came out without any debt i think that's kind of a little bit a little bit of what we're we're talking about here the only thing that i i didn't like about what david goggins philosophy he he talks so much about fueling your passion with it felt like negative energy to me with, with people that say mean things to you or negative thoughts and stuff like that. And I like to think of things more from a, a positive aspect that, Hey, I can, I can have whatever I want. I just have to choose it and I have to go out and get it. Like I said, still, still great takeaways and incredible ways to be able to push yourself. The second point that I want to bring up kind of piggybacks off that first one. And uh, David calls it this the 40% rule. And he says that for most people, when you push yourself and you go until you think you can't go any further, you're actually very likely at about 40% of your potential output. I was pretty shocked to hear this because 40% seems low, but the more that I've contemplated this, the more that I think he's right. We, we typically, we don't welcome discomfort. 
we haven't trained our minds to be familiar enough with pain in order to know that we can push through. So when we first start to feel pain, a lot of times that's when we're just starting the time clock as far as potential that we could hit. But when we're not familiar with that and going through it, that is often the point at which we we quit or we say that we've we've pushed our heart our hardest. I don't know, Justin, have you ever heard that? There's a quote by Muhammad Ali. He says, somebody asked him, somebody it was a reporter, somebody asked him, How many, how many sit-ups do you do in each day? And he said, he said, I don't count my sit-ups. I only start counting when it starts hurting because they're the only ones that count. Have you ever heard that? I had not. Yeah, that's it's it's super impressive. But I think it reiterates that principle, the 40% rule. That's what it makes me think of in this situation. What a what a great mindset to reach. So I have an experience that I wanted to share. When we uh when we bought our house, it's the first time I've ever lived in a house that has a pool and it's been a ton of fun. One thing that's been fun for me, interestingly enough, is holding my breath. My wife and I watched a TED Talks by David Blaine. Do you know who David Blaine is? Oh yeah. So he's got he's got a show on Netflix and like does all these different tricks and crazy stuff. I don't know how he does it, but he is the world record holder for holding his breath for over 10 minutes. And he did a TED Talks about it and we we watched it and actually that was the first time that I learned about David Blaine. So in his TED Talks, he talks about basically takes away the magic and saying it, it's, it wasn't a trick. I trained myself. This is what I did. Anyway, it's really cool. You guys should watch it. After watching that, I decided that I wanted to try and hold my breath. So I did it. I went in the pool and I was able to hold my breath for close to two minutes using his advice. But I had been kind of holding my breath before and the mo- probably the most I could go is 45 seconds or maybe a little bit under a minute. So after watching him and listening to what he did, I almost doubled how long I could hold my breath. Then I watched another video by a guy that learned to hold his breath even longer. I'm picturing some people listening to this saying, oh yeah, okay, so this is what you do when you work three days a week. You watch YouTube videos about how to hold your breath longer. Yeah, you can learn all kinds of cool stuff. I learned this uh, this guy he shared that you can break down your breath holding into three phases. The first phase is where you're relatively comfortable. The second phase is where you're beginning to really want to take a breath. And the last phase, and these are broken up into thirds, the last phase is where your body and your your diaphragm actually starts to contract. So when you start the contractions, you've still got a third of your time left. Using all of this, you know, and looking at all this, I was able to go from being able to hold my breath for about 45 seconds to end up at three minutes. I think this is simple and maybe strange, but I think it's a great example because the 45 seconds that I was at before, I thought that that was my max. When you look at the numbers, 45 seconds is is way less than 40% of three minutes. So it was way less than what I was really capable of. Anyway, I think this applies in, in many ways. In our practices, we often hit roadblocks, whether it's clinical or, or business, but we tend, we tend to continue pushing, but we'll frequently give up when, when we've probably only given about 40% of our potential effort. What are your thoughts? Would you agree with that, Justin? Absolutely. Most of us, myself included, and I like to think of myself as someone who regularly pushes the boundaries, but we're nowhere near 
our full potential, you know, but I think we think we are. And so we stop, you know, well, I pushed this hard and I'm not where I want to be in life. My practice isn't where I want it to be. So I guess it just doesn't work. I mean, I think that's a way of life kind of weeding out the weak, you know, success is uncommon, therefore not to be enjoyed by the common man. We all have the same opportunity, the same 24 hours in a day. We all put our pants on the same way. And when you can internalize that and come to the realization that there's nothing special about those that have the things tangible or intangible that we want, they just put in the work to get them that we're not willing to. I think it puts it in a different perspective. Totally. The, the last point that I want to I get to and discuss is, is the way that David Goggins talks about motivation. He talks about how he'll get emails from people all the time asking, how do you stay motivated all the time? His answer, he says, I don't. David Goggins believes that really no one can stay motivated all the time. So it's not about staying motivated. It's about what you do when you're, mo- when you're not motivated. How do, you, how do you push through those times and do what you know needs to be done even when you aren't feeling motivated? So what are your thoughts here? What is this like for you? I think we probably all have different le- levels of maybe natural drive and motivation, but I think that he's right. So for you and your situation, how often are you, quote unquote, motivated versus having to just push through something? This is one of my favorite parts of the book. I have clients ask this a lot and I preach this a lot. You know, I have clients that say, I just don't feel motivated right now. How do you, how did you stay motivated all the time? How do you stay motivated all the time? And first, you know, I would definitely say that it helps when your vision is clear on the return that you wanted, that you want from effort you're putting into something. You know, I, I knew exactly what I wanted my life to look like. So that helped keeping me motivated. That being said, to say I or anyone else was or is motivated all the time, that's BS. You know, it's not easier for me to stay motivated than for you to stay motivated or the next person to stay motivated. And when it comes down to it, the superhuman ability to always have that motivation isn't what sets us apart because no one has that. Putting in the work during the times you are motivated isn't what sets us apart. Anyone can do that. Anyone can put in the work when you feel like it. It's the work you put in when you don't feel like it. When life has kicked you repeatedly in the balls and you still go on to fight another day and put in 100%, that's when the sit-ups get hard. That's when you create distance and that's when you get the best results. And that's one of my favorite part of working with clients, to be that backbone. What I know their drive is lacking to push them and say, one more, give it one more, just focus on tomorrow. You know, just let's get through until this time passes, which it always does. You know, those times always pass and we get back on track. What about you, Derek? How, how much motivation, how much is motivation a factor and how do you push through when you aren't motivated? I feel like I'm a, a relatively motivated person for the most part. But, but really, the vision for what I am working toward is, is really the biggest motivator to me. So I think that there's, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that, I, I think that, yes, the most important concept here is how do you push through when you're not 
motivated. But ultimately, I think that there's also ways to to stay motivated and to keep a perspective of what you're doing. So for me, during times that I'm less motivated, remembering that vision of of what I want to get to, remembering each of the steps that I'm taking is is helping me to get closer to that that vision. They're all key parts of of staying motivated or rather, you know, pushing through when you're not motivated. I remember you talking, Justin, about kind of mentioning this thought of working towards the point of being able to to sell your practice and have more freedom with time. And that uh, when you're doing something mundane like a class two, it's not, that was not just a class two. It was, it was, it was step. one step closer yep. to your vision. I feel the same way. And so, you know, when I'm, when I'm at the gym and I'm having a hard time pushing myself, I think of my vision. I think of what I, what I want my body to look like, what I want to feel like there are still just some days where that doesn't help either. And, you know, it's interesting because do you remember that quote? Somebody said 80% of the problem is just, is just showing up. No, I think everybody said that. Oh, okay. And taking credit. I've taken credit for it many times. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, with going to the gym, most of it is just getting there. If you can get yourself there, I mean, that's the biggest step and you're going to, you're going to be a lot better off than if you would have just stayed in bed that day. And another thing that's helpful to me is if we could get our mindset to where David has his, that he's like seeking to find ways to challenge and push himself because he knows that's going to bring growth. I think, I think that alone can be motivation. So today, this morning I, I went to the gym and uh, today was cardio not my favorite. I'd, I'd rather be lifting, but I got on the rowing machine and I went for 10 minutes and I felt like I was pushing myself hard. And so I had, I hit a certain number as far as calories in 10 minutes. I took a one minute break. And then I told myself that I was going to, I was going to beat that number that I, that I did before. And so I, I pushed myself harder, even though I was a little bit more tired because I wasn't necessarily as, as fresh I was during the first 10 minutes. But I beat the first one. I beat it and it helped me to push things and take it to the next level. I still probably was maybe at 50% of my potential, but uh, it's, I don't know, it's about continuing to, to push yourself. One other thing that I think is helpful in, in some of those times is taking a moment of, of gratitude. I think it helps keep things in perspective. I've had you know, I've, I've worked through this with several clients and I've gone through it myself many times. And interestingly enough, several times where I've seen a dip in motivation is after a, a pretty great achievement, whether it's a, a great month with production and collections um, or, you know, doing more implants or, or whatever. Uh, you know, I see, I see Dennis coming off of this kind of this high and the next month is, is tough because, they're afraid, maybe they're afraid that they won't reach it again, or they feel, they feel the pressure or they're thinking, you know, sometimes it's just, well, I achieved my goal. What's next. And and so they kind of lose a little bit of that drive. And sometimes I just tell people, look, you gotta celebrate the wins. Take, allow yourself to take a moment um, after that month. You know, did you do anything to celebrate the great month you had? Well, no, I was just focused on you know, what I was going to do the next month and if I was going to be able to do it. And so take, 
allow yourself to take a minute and, uh, you know, take a weekend or uh, an evening and, and to c- celebrate your, your wins and your successes. Take, take some time and, and recognize how, how fortunate you are to be in the position that you're at. And I think a lot of times that allows you to have the, the bigger picture, the greater perspective, and then to continue to, to go on and to push yourself. So for me, if there's a day that I'm not feeling like going into the office, I, uh, I, re- I try and remember that, that those three days a week are what me, what allow me to have freedom in life, time with my family, all of these wonderful things. And then it makes me more grateful for the opportunity and realize that, that it is an opportunity. And the, and the harder I push myself during that time, the more meaningful those rewards are going to be. Yep. Agreed. During the tough times, it's easy to think how bad things are, but that's a dangerous place to go to because it can always be worse. And often our problems are first world problems. So count your blessings. And I'm saying that to myself as much as anyone else. Yeah. Well, th- those are really kind of the main points that I wanted to talk about from the book. I would I would recommend it to anybody that's looking for something to to push you and to, you know, help you find ways to break the barriers in in your mindset. Any other thoughts from the book or anything you wanted to to share before we wrap up, Justin? No, that was it. Thought it was good. If there's any other books that you guys want us to talk about or have a recommendation, post it on the page and be happy to pick one and be able to kind of talk about it and talk about developing those characteristics. So uh, thanks guys for listening. As always, if you're enjoying this and getting value, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps us out a lot. And we really appreciate being able to to make a difference and and help you guys out. If you want to know more about our services, you can email either any three of us, Derek, Steve, or Justin at thelifestylepractice.com, or you can go to thelifestylepractice.com and click on learn more, fill out a survey about your practice, and we'd be happy to, to talk about what we see and maybe some potential opportunities in working together. So have a great week, guys. Until next time. See you. Peace.